a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. If this is your first time around, the uh, wrong thing can merry go around. First of all, let me congratulate you on taking a chance. Stepping out of the uh, status quo, or at least stepping out of that uh, that comfortable place where uh, we pretty much just listen to or read things that uh, mostly agree with us and confirm how right we are about everything, it's a little bit daunting. In fact, it's a little bit scary. And I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm not here to scold you and otherwise tell you what a bad person you are because you don't tow this or that ideological line. But I am here to ask you to do something that requires real, authentic courage. And that is to think as clearly and as independently as you can because we live in some very difficult times. Now, it's, it's a phase we're going through. It's a, it's a fourth turning, if you're familiar with that fourth turning methodology. But during times of crisis, and especially when we have multiple overlapping crises, man, the best thing you and I can do is, is see the world as it is and then step up and make the difference that we were born to make in whatever way we're supposed to make that difference. And it's going to be different from person to person. So I'm not here to give you the direction as far as, well, this is exactly what you should do, but I'm definitely going to encourage you. If you are, are regularly consuming legacy media, you might want to rethink that, or at least you might want to ask yourself the question, is this bringing value to my life? Is it bringing something to me that actually helps me better understand who I am and what I'm about? And if the answer is no, it actually leaves me feeling angry and it makes me fearful might want to reconsider whether it's it's doing you any favors. Now, hopefully you're going to find some truth and light in what I have to share with you. My goal is never to, you know, add to any fear or anger that's already out there. At the same time, there are some serious things that are taking place, things that I feel like need to be covered. I just try to do it in a way that, well, inspires people to think about it as opposed to you better agree with me or else you're a bad, bad person. By the way, I have some wonderful sponsors who make this program possible. If you go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, I have a special section right down at the bottom of the page just for my sponsors. They include hslammo.com, monticellocollege.org, lifesavingfood.com, and garagedoorproservices.com. I'll be telling you a little bit more about them as we move through the show. So I'm going to start with a tried and true topic only because this is probably the biggest thing to shift our world in the last couple of years, and that is uh, the return of COVID. I don't know if you've noticed, but just as we saw in the last couple of years, as we get through the summer, there's a predictable ramping up of, oh, look at this, a new variant, and we've got to enact more of these restrictions. And some countries are doing this pretty hard. New Zealand, I think, is, is one of the ones that's leading out. But the truth of the matter is, if you have had your fill of some of this top-down, we're going to control everything in your life, and we're only doing this for your own good. If, you have, if you've decided, hey, maybe they're really not playing straight with us. I don't know if you caught the interview with Dr. Deborah Burks, 
who was one of the, the chief architects of the COVID response, she admits, she comes right out and says, well, maybe we overplayed the vaccines. We knew they really wouldn't stop infection, but they sold it to the public on those terms. Not just sold it as in, hey, you really should take this, but you will take this or you should be kept out of society. You should be fired from your job. You should be kept from shopping or kept from being able to travel. Yeah, there's some, there's some really dark stuff that has taken place. And I get it when people say, well, I'm not sure I'm ready to admit that I was fooled. None of us likes to be duped. None of us. But we all got played pretty hard. And I guess the key here is the players are coming back at us with a new angle. So if you were stout-hearted enough to endure the psychological pressures over the past couple of years, first of all, I want to congratulate you. It's rare to find people who are able to, to resist and, and not give in to the fear. But I also want you to understand that the powers that be are bringing back COVID, and this time they're trying to make it permanent. Kit Knightley, writing for OffGuardian.org, makes the case here, and I think convincingly. Kit writes that COVID is back in every headline, and the new normal, as the new normal crowd gets desperate to scare people into accepting the Great Reset, they're going back to their old favorite to get us used to the forever pandemic. The UK's COVID cases are apparently up to 3.8 million. That's according to the Office of National Statistics. And it's reportedly just as bad in the European Union, where cases allegedly tripled in six weeks. Things are looking pretty grim across the pond, too, with cases surging all across the U.S. And, of course, it's no better on the other side of the supposed ideological divide. Russia, China, and India, beside be, despite being brave multipolar warriors locked in a 5D chess struggle against the machinations of the globalist elite, they've all seen cases of the new variant as well. So, no matter where you live, cases are on the way up. But as we all know, cases actually means people who tested positive. And that's a fudged statistic used entirely for propaganda purposes. Kid Knightley says the new wave is really just about selling one big idea, and that idea is that the pandemic will never end. MarketWatch is leading the way as far as the on-the-nose headlines go with, quote, U.S. leads the world in new COVID cases as BA.5 continues to spread and illustrate that the pandemic is far from over. Ah, the pandemic is far from over. That's the hard-coded message doing the rounds right now, and it's not at all subtle. The World Health Organization literally said it pretty much word for word. World Health Organization warns nowhere near over as variants spike in U.S. and Europe. And they're switching up the symptoms, too, with subvariant BA.5 producing new symptoms which include a sore throat and hoarse voice. In a stroke of genius, they even added night sweats and trouble getting to sleep to the list of COVID symptoms in the middle of a heat wave. Huh, brilliant stuff. Now, the surge is likely to grow as World Health Organization officials demand nations boost monitoring, which is another way of saying more testing, which means more cases. It's a game we're all very familiar with, and it's all meaningless. Just as meaningless of talk of the new Centaurus variant. They had to go with Centaurus or something new because the next Greek letter after Omicron is Pi. Nobody's going to be frightened of the Pi variant. So how is the Centaurus variant different? Well, apparently it might be more infectious and maybe more severe. 
Most importantly, though, it has the potential to help the virus escape from the from antibodies elicited by current vaccines. And this is, of course, vital if you're going to rake in those sweet, sweet booster bucks. Not underlying this point with the public, they even had poor old Sleepy Joe test positive for COVID, despite being vaccinated up to his eyeballs. What this means for his long-term future remains to be seen. Maybe Joe's about to get retired. Who knows? Just remember that the news is a construct. And if Joe had tested positive and it wasn't convenient for the narrative, we would simply never hear about it. Kit Knightley says, hell, we know they don't wear masks when the cameras aren't on them. There's no reason at all to think they actually bother testing themselves. I mean, why would they? They simply announce a positive test for any politician who needs to take some time off, generate sympathy, or reinforce the verisimilitude of the story. It's always a fascinating line they tread when they start having the fully vaccinated test positive. On the one hand, they need the vaccines to work to convince the unvaccinated to get the shot. But on the other, they need the vaccines to not work to convince the vaccinated to get their boosters. So clearly right now they see more money in revaccinating than new vaccinating, which makes sense. Any unvaccinated holdouts are probably a lost cause from their point of view. Now, in terms of the big picture, what do you think that means? Well, Kit Knightley says potentially it means going back to mask mandates, social distancing, and adding fifth, sixth, seventh boosters to the already pretty crowded vaccine schedule. Maybe they'll give you a deal if you get polio, monkeypox, or two or three COVID shots at the same time. Maybe we'll get a nice autumn lockdown and school days. School will delay opening till after the summer holidays. Maybe there's a bigger narrative in the offing. The I newspapers already setting the stage for a bad winter. But more generally, the plan is simply to normalize the semi-permanent pandemic. The Guardian is already saying that this wave is cresting and got to prepare for the next one. New York Times is more blunt. Endemic COVID-19 looks pretty brutal. The Atlantic went with a variant of the same headline. The BA5 wave is what normal COVID or what COVID's new normal looks like. And the San Francisco Chronicle actually unironically uses the the phrase new normal in its headline. Meanwhile, Bloomberg and the Washington Post put Bowdoin's positive test center stage claiming it shows the pandemic's staying power and tests his return to normal strategy. Look, it's time to ask questions and not just believe whatever the uh, narrative managers are telling you. And if your gut and your conscience are saying this doesn't add up, don't be so quick to dismiss it. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'd like to give a shout out here to Garage Door Pros. In fact, a little bit later on this week, I'm hoping you'll get a chance to actually meet Seth. I'm going to have him as a guest on my show. Um, We're going to be talking about not garage doors, but just life in general. And Seth has some really interesting perspectives from which to draw. But... If you or someone you know is in the market for a garage door, be it for residential or for commercial purposes, these are the folks you should talk to, especially if you live in St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona, that little uh, southwest corner of Utah, Garage Door Pros has you covered. 
It's a local company. They install, they service, they repair garage doors. These are doors, by the way, made in America. And they really do a great job. If you don't believe me, please click on the link that I provided in my show notes. GarageDoorProServices.com Look at the reviews from their happy customers. I think that alone is is one of the biggest uh, selling points right there. Well, what have other people had to say? Look at the people who've actually done business with them. I think you'll see this is the right choice. Garage Door Pros. I appreciate them being a sponsor of this show. You know, all of us know people who operate in a permanent state of crisis. In fact, if you know people like that, maybe you kind of steer clear of them because they can be really intense. Sorry, but that's the truth. Unfortunately, our government seems to prefer that approach as well. I've got a great uh, article from uh, Reason Magazine. This is from Bonnie Christian. Not everything is a national emergency. The point being, if the National Emergencies Act goes without reform, presidents will continue to misuse emergency declarations as leverage to shift Congress. So here's, here's a good example. President Joe Biden on Friday said, action on climate change and clean energy remains more urgent than ever after Senator Joe Manchin rejected his own party's climate legislation. So the president said, let me be clear, if the Senate will not move to tackle the climate crisis and strengthen our domestic clean energy industry, I will take strong executive action to meet this moment. Now, last Monday, citing three unnamed sources, the Washington Post broke the story of what that action might be, saying Biden is considering declaring a national climate emergency. As the paper reported, and it could happen as soon as this week, activists believe a national emergency would let Biden halt crude oil exports, limit gas and oil drilling in federal waters, and direct agencies, including the Federal Emergency Management Agency, to boost renewable energy resources. Though political realities, especially high gas prices and inflation, and the inevitable Republican-led lawsuits may serve as some restraint on Biden, the activists are correct that emergency declarations are a potent boost to presidential power. See, and that's exactly the problem. Emergency declarations have become a lazy political workaround, a way for presidents to bypass Congress after it fails to do its job, or in some cases just outright rejects what the president wants. National emergencies have become a loophole to administrative lawlessness, and they are in dire need of reform. Yep, that's, that's where we find ourselves right now. And by the way, Bonnie Christian goes through a number of different uh, national emergencies, pointing out that presidents from Jimmy Carter onward have declared 75 different emergencies, citing the authority of the National Emergencies Act, and about half of those declarations now many, many of them now decades old, still remain in effect. Now, there's some that you might understand, like the immediate aftermath of the 9-11 attacks and so forth, but climate change? Really? Well, the monkey pox and uh, COVID wasn't scaring people enough to do what we say, so I guess we need to, to jump in and, you know, use climate change as, as an excuse. By the way, I feel like I need to clarify this just for the sake of those who are like, well, Brian, there is climate change taking place. I get that. I think climate change is actually a natural part of cycles that this planet goes through. But here's where, here's where my skepticism kicks in. I don't believe politicians who tell me if I will just give them more of my money and more power over my life, that they can somehow fix that or they can reverse that or somehow control it. That to me sounds like hubris writ large.
I think the sun is probably more of an influence on our climate than anything, not just on our climate, but on the climates of all of the planets of this solar system. Do you want to watch a really informative and I I think uh, based in reality take on this? Go to YouTube and check out Suspicious Observers. You might also want to look up uh, Space Weather News. Very interesting stuff. A lot of it goes right over my head. But I think Ben has a really solid take on, on what's happening. And, and, and part, of, part of the reason I like what he has to say is because none of it's based in, oh my gosh, the world is burning up and, and, and only government can save us. Anyhow, I hope you'll click on this article from uh, Bonnie Christian about how not everything is a national emergency. Specifically, what she's doing here is she's calling for reform of the National Emergencies Act. And she says, as long as the National Emergencies Act goes without reform, presidents will continue to misuse emergency declarations as leverage to shift Congress, as Trump did, as Biden has done. That's why she says this law needs to be changed to strictly limit why and for how long national emergencies can be declared. And to more carefully define the scope and nature of the problems these declarations can address as well as how long that state of emergency can continue without congressional endorsement of the president's plan. Now, that time limit needs to be short, maybe even just a few days rather than the current six months where they just keep renewing it every six months. So lawmakers are forced to consider emergency actions on their own merits rather than just rubber-stamping entrenched federal programs. And if it really is an emergency... Well, even our legislators should be able to get themselves together in order to act. I think that's a reasonable approach. But uh, for some people, and and, and again, I would ask you, think of the most high-drama people in your lives. Hint, these are usually the people who say, I hate drama. Oh, I just can't stand drama. But, But yet drama seems to follow them everywhere. Think of that mindset holding sway in how our government operates. Because that's pretty much what we're seeing today. And if it's not one emergency, it's another emergency. And, you know, I mean, even even the January 6th committee, this is a great case of, well, we're operating from emergency. What's the emergency? Well, some people disagree with what we politicians want to do. And therefore, they are extremists and they're trying to overturn our democracy. No, I think uh, what you're finding out, though, is in spite of how a few people may have acted out on January 6th, to sit there and tar and feather a whole segment of the country, like, you know, millions or tens of millions of voters because they don't agree with you, that's pretty dangerous territory. And I think that uh, we are, we're approaching a flashpoint of sorts. I don't look at that with any kind of uh, satisfaction, like, all right, finally, we're going to get this thing sorted out. It's more like, this is, this is probably going to be ugly. It is ugly already. I mean, for crying out loud, Alec Baldwin, Jesse Smollett. Who's the other one? There's a there's a third prominent uh, individual who. Oh, Hunter Biden. <laughs> These guys are all free men. And if you if you haven't followed, you know the various uh, misdeeds that each of them have done. Let's see, Jesse Smollett made false police reports. He actually went to jail, but uh, then the judge let him go because, well, privilege, I guess. Um, Alec Baldwin killed. A woman in the, the, the shooting of a movie. Hunter Biden, where do you start with that train wreck? But these guys are all free, but by gosh, you can rest easy tonight. Dear listener, 
because some grandma who walked through the U.S. Capitol is sitting in prison for a few months, cooling her heels because she, quote, paraded in a Capitol building. Yeah, it's a crisis. And, and it's a crisis that's being milked. So all I can say is you do have some negotiating power. As in, you don't have to sit there and negotiate, well, I want to keep this many of my liberties. Sometimes the best solution is to exercise your power to simply walk away from the table. And by the way, if you're negotiating without uh, the ability to walk away from the table, you're not really negotiating. Walk away from the table, start building systems that actually work for you, but don't talk, take action. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I just want you to know how much I appreciate you giving me a chance to bend your ear for a little bit, offer some things for your consideration, and who knows, maybe something hits the right note and you go, you know what, I like this. This actually empowered me or it gave me deeper insights or a better understanding. Whether you agree or not, my goal is simply to enlarge your perspective and your ability to to catch the bigger picture. It's not to, to make you sit there and nod your head thoughtfully agreeing with me on everything that I say because I don't get it all right. I do my best, but uh, I understand. I'm limited in terms of how much I can process. I'm limited in terms of my understanding. I am grateful to be able to draw on people who I think have a really good, credible take on things, and those are the sources that I primarily turn to. In fact, I actually have a special section on my website called Resources for Wrong Thinkers. And I would strongly encourage spend some time there if you want to become, you know, better informed and up to speed on certain issues and and uh, subjects of, of, of what's going on around us, keeping in mind that it's all rapidly evolving. These are some of the better sources that I've found. All right, let's take a moment here to talk about Thomas L. Knapp's latest column. If you needed some moral clarity about how essential it is that we take our government's never-ending state of emergency off life support, I think you'll really like Thomas Knapp's latest column. COVID-19, Block the Emergency to New Normal Pipeline. He says, in mid-July, the Biden administration extended a January 2020 COVID-19 public health emergency declaration through mid-October of this year. And an administration official justifies the renewal of the emergency declaration because it continues to provide us with tools and authorities needed to respond to the virus. But Thomas L. Knapp points out COVID-19 is no longer a pandemic. It's become endemic like the flu or the common cold. And the latest variant of concern, BA.5, continues to follow the usual path of viral evolution, becoming more contagious but less deadly. So while cases are increasing, hospitalization and deaths remain near low points since this thing began. And yet around the country, at all levels of government, we see which tools and authorities remain in vogue. Mask mandates and advisories are sprouting back up. At this point, however, he says our masters are fresh out of true public health excuses for such mandates. The state of the science on masking as of the beginning of the pandemic was summed up by NIAID Director Anthony Fauci. 
There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. Wearing a mask might make people, might make people feel a little bit better. It might even block a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think it is. End quote. So despite Herculean efforts on the part of public health advocates to make science conform with the politically motivated desire to mandate masking over the last two years, the actual science remains the same. There wasn't good evidence that masking reduces the spread of viral disease as of early 2020, and there is no such evidence now. So why all the continued fascination with mask mandates? Hanlon's razor, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. Tempt is an explanation, but it's unsatisfactory. Thomas L. Knapp says, Government experts have access to the same peer-reviewed scientific studies the rest of us do. In fact, they largely funded those very studies. They know that the evidence for masking is about as good as the evidence for Lucky Rabbit's feet or St. Christopher medals. The next best explanation is that for any issue, politicians and bureaucrats always feel the need to do something, whether that something works or not. Well, mask mandates are something. But now that the COVID-19 issue is fading into just another endemic condition that kills a few and produces minor, if any, illness in most, a third explanation makes the most sense. It's about power. Our rulers seized a lot of it during, or using the pandemic rather, as an excuse, and they don't want to give it up. By the way, I think he is dead on right in that conclusion. This is about power. And he also points out we're still taking off our shoes in airport lines on command more than 20 years after Richard Reed's unsuccessful attempt to blow up a plane. If the political class has its way, we'll still be donning ceremonial headgear on command 20 years from now. If the Biden administration won't shut this emergency nonsense down in law, then Americans need to shut it down in action. It's time to take back the powers we let government seize and then some. And he says, resist the new normal they're trying to foist on us. Now, I notice some people that's just going to sound like, well, you troublemakers. But do you see what's at stake here? And I'm asking that sincerely. This is not just about my freedom, me, me, me. This is, this is about everybody's freedom. I do want to be free, but I want everybody else to have freedom as well. I want my kids and I want my grandkids to enjoy freedom. And the way that that new normal uh, movement of the goalposts takes place, you know this, this crisis is never going to be over. So we need to think about what we can do in our own lives to, to stop the juggernaut from rolling onward. And I know this seems really simple, probably so simple that people will be tempted to say, well, it couldn't possibly work. But if you can find the courage to say no, and I mean mean it, that's where it begins. When enough people just simply say no. So when businesses start putting up signs and, and uh, you know, you have to wear a mask to go into government offices and so forth, you've got to be strong enough to say no. Yeah, you don't have to be mean about it. Although, I, I will admit, my own frustration is growing to the point where I'm... I'm not uh, not quite uh, content to say just no anymore. I'm ready to tell them, hell no, I'm not going to put that thing on. 
Your mileage may vary. But if you have stuck it out so far, if you've resisted all the pressure, if you have maintained your personal autonomy, you've probably passed the hardest part of the test. And I know it sucks to think, well, the test is still going on. I know, I'm wishing it was over as well. And for some people, this may not be a very easy, um, it may not be an easy situation. I, I can tell you, it's not a settled matter, even in my own household. There is a deep disagreement on the part of some family members about, you know, the efficacy of masks and, you know, vaccines and so forth. Maybe you were one of those people who had to go the rounds, you know, with, with family members or friends or even employers or, or customers back in the day. Why don't you just put on the mask? It's just a piece of cloth. What's the big deal? Why won't you do this? Why won't you obey? Actually, they wouldn't tell you why won't you obey, but that's really what's at the root of people's dissatisfaction with why you're not doing what everybody else is doing. And I'm sure to some this just sounds like, well, you just sound like a troublemaker and someone who's being defiant, but I promise you what what I'm describing here, at least from my point of view, is coming from a matter of conscience. And there have been times in my life where I have uh, been pretty successful in throttling back on my conscience or at least muffling it, you know, making sure you get in the back seat and be quiet. I'm the one driving here. I don't need you back seat driving for me. But as I've grown older, I've also come to understand that having a good relationship with your conscience, another way to put that is being at peace with your conscience. It matters more than we think. And I don't think anybody explains that better than Leonard E. Reed did in his essay, Battle or Conscience on the Battlefield. I won't, I'll let you discover the essay for yourself. It's, it's really, really worthwhile. But if you want to really get down to the brass tacks of, okay, when you reach the end of your life, how much of what you have will you take with you? Okay, none of your material possessions are going to go. There are no luggage racks on hearses. Nobody gets to hook a trailer up, <clears throat> the trailer up and tell you, you know, good luck. We packed all your stuff. Enjoy it in the hereafter. You know, if there is one. But the one thing for sure that will be there with you at the, the very end of your life is your conscience. And as Leonard Reed explains, if the first time you're meeting your conscience is as you are exiting this life, that's going to be a very awkward meeting. Now, I'm not suggesting that uh, being at peace with your conscience is always the easiest path. Truth be told, most of the most difficult decisions in my life came about because I was making a concerted effort to follow my conscience and not just simply take the path of least resistance. So I'm not going to pretend like, oh, it was a cinch. Yeah, I just, you know. Winked my eye and, you know, marched forward and it was just great. Nobody criticized me. Nobody second-guessed me. I didn't even doubt myself. (laughs) No, it's tough. But the more acquainted you become with your conscience, the more you start to desire that peace. And for me, this non-compliance with all these mandates and with all of these things that will try to force obedience, it's a matter of conscience. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'd like to give a quick shout-out here to HSLAmmo.com. That would be my friend Spencer Worthington. He is the president and founder of HSL Ammo. And they do a wonderful job of creating high-quality, new and remanufactured ammunition. All the popular calibers, they have a number of choices to, to choose from, reasonably priced, and I just have such admiration for Spencer of, this has not been an easy time for ammo manufacturers. Demand is extremely high. I don't know the exact reasons why, but getting components, not very easy. But he makes it work. He keeps a workforce employed in southern Utah. He is uh, he's a go-getter and makes a marvelous product. And, and the best part of all is it's a product that actually is very, very useful. For spending time at the range, just simply recreating for a store of value. If you want to hang on to some ammo, I can promise you that it's something that will hold its value. It's it's the other precious metal that sometimes is overlooked. It's also a marvelous way to convert money into skill, as in skill at arms. So I'd love it if you would click on the link I provide in my show notes for hslammo.com. I don't know if you have seen or if you're familiar with the flag an appeal to heaven. I've seen this a few times, and I, I, it's not as common to say the Gadsden flag, don't tread on me. But it's a pine tree reaching to the heavens, and it says an appeal to heaven. And this was, this was actually one of, the, uh, it was one of the great symbols of the American Revolution. And I'm including in today's show notes an article from Brian Parsons. This was published on AmericanThinker.com about an appeal to heaven. He starts with a quote from John Locke. And where the body of the people or any single man is deprived of their right or is under the exercise of a power without right and have no appeal on earth, they have a liberty to appeal to heaven. Now, if you know much about the, uh, the quest for American independence and the American founding, you will understand that that was a dynamic that was very well understood. Even if... It wasn't in in some effort to create a theocracy. But you look at uh, the Declaration of Independence, talking about that firm reliance on divine providence, an appeal to God or to nature and nature's God, the supreme judge of the universe. Okay, these weren't just lofty phrases. This, This was stuff that actually made sense to that founding generation. Brian Parsons says, history is the story of who we are and resonates with us because it gives us a sense of belonging and purpose. It challenges us to be great and to be fearless as we pursue the greatness of our predecessors. But he points out in recent history, we have succumbed to a revisionist tale of our past, and as a result, we have forgotten who we are. Brian Parsons says America has been led to believe stories of a secular past that brought us favor and prosperity. Proponents of this secular society lean on cherry-picked quotations from our founders who sought to bind a union of separatist states established for the free exercise of various Christian denominations. To the north, the Puritans established the colonies of New England and the Quakers settled Pennsylvania. The Anglican Church established the Atlantic states like Virginia and Maryland, while Baptists established Rhode Island. And when the founders spoke of a separation of church and state, they rejected one official state church 
that they might find common religious freedom and not the rejection of Christianity or its tenets in government. In government. But of course, you know, history's kind of been turned on its, on its ear. From the villainous portrayal of Christopher Columbus to the reimagining of our founding by the authors of the 1619 Project, America has rejected the truth and the God of the founders and subsequently his blessing. So if America is to reacquire the blessings of God, it must look to its past revivals and seek the God of its founding. That's the thesis of the book, The Light and the Glory, by Peter Marshall and David Manuel. First published in 1977, this book is a novel that recounts the Christian conversion of two Ivy League students in the 1970s, and it describes their pursuit to either validate or debunk American college professors' assertions or assertions, rather, that the United States founders were either deists or atheists pursuing a secular nation. Digging through the shelves of America's first university libraries like those of Harvard and Yale, they uncovered something else altogether, and that is the Christian foundations of this nation are inseparable from its existence. Now, deists believe that God, if he does exist, set the wheels of the universe in motion and otherwise doesn't mingle in the affairs of man. Now, that stands in contrast to the founding revolutionaries who found no redress in government and, heeding the words of Chronicle of Second Chronicles, appealed to the highest authority they knew, which was an appeal to heaven. This is what you can see in their pine tree flag. This is a really great article. I hope you'll take the time to look at it. It's not calling for the establishment of an American theocracy. It's simply acknowledging that the founders recognized that no great nation. No nation has existed or been governed without religion. And that Christianity was the greatest of them all and a gift to mankind. Brian Parsons uh, finishes with the question, will America humble itself and pray and appeal to heaven? Perhaps this is our best recourse to restore the blessings of our posterity. Now, I understand this makes people uncomfortable sometimes, Brian. When you, when you stray into this religious territory, it, it makes me uncomfortable. And, and there was probably a time in my life when I would have felt uncomfortable too. Like, okay, this is a little too much like Sunday school, a little less like civics. But I remember very clearly this transition that took place in my life. I always thought freedom was good. I always was raised to believe it's a good thing. It's a noble thing. It's very worthwhile. We should be appreciative of it. My parents raised me to love and appreciate what it meant to live in a free country. But back in, when was it? Probably 1995, somewhere around there, a friend lent me a videotape called America's Godly Heritage, and it was something produced by an organization known as Wall Builders. And using the founder's own words, I suddenly was introduced to that connection that yes, freedom is a good thing. And yes, the founding generation did remarkable work in establishing a nation where freedom was the primary reason for which government existed to guarantee our freedoms, to protect our natural rights. But I had never understood the spiritual dynamic behind that quest for liberty that motivated them and gave them the moral clarity that they knew when it was time to stand up. I mean, they, they worked for years with King George's governments. 
government, rather. They had worked for a long time and petitioned and tried to solve the problems of being ruled from afar without representation and all the various things that the king was doing to them. They tried to work that through peaceably, but there came a point where they realized we have the moral clarity to say this is, this is wrong, to put ourselves in this kind of subjugation and appealing to, this is in the declaration, you know, appealing to the supreme judge of the universe. They declared their independence and then they willingly stood up and defended those freedoms when the king tried to deny them that independence. And it was understanding that godly heritage That's what turned that little spark of, yeah, freedom's good, into a roaring fire in my heart. That's when I knew. This is what I want to spend my life doing, helping promote that message. Helping people understand that this is the greatest gift that our Creator can give us. Our freedom, our liberty. But it's not just a careless gift. It's not like throwing the car keys, you know, to a 16-year-old boy, you know. Here, go take the Corvette. It's yours. It's something that requires responsibility. It requires accountability. And a person has to be careful in how they use their freedom. Otherwise, they can use their freedom to paint themselves into, you know, a dark corner of consequences from which there really is no escape. And here's the crazy thing. It's been a long time. It's been, what, 26 years? 27 years? Almost since since, uh, I I made that realization that uh, this is is something that, uh, that God is connected to. Over that time, I have had the privilege of standing at a number of different historical crossroads that have confirmed that to me in great clarity. So please understand, I'm not, uh, I'm not insisting that uh, if you're a non-believer, you need to convert at this moment, and I'll see you in Sunday school next Sunday. What I am suggesting is, if you are serious about freedom, and particularly if you see the, the dire situation that's developing around us that threatens to take what remains of our freedoms, maybe like the founders, you can understand that when an appeal to earthly governments fails, an appeal to heaven might just be the direction to go. I'm actually of the opinion that is the direction we need to go. The question is, how do we get enough people to humble themselves enough to consider it? This is The Brian Hyde Show.